Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. We started last week a series entitled The Daring Direction and looking at our church, looking at the, the really the New Testament church. And one of the pieces that we looked at was uh, last week was kind of the the introduction, kind of the the start of the church. And this morning, I wanna I wanna kind of start in with just a, a really more of an imaginative thought of of you and I just stopping and going back to where all of this began. And if you would stop and and think with me, whether you uh, whether you closed your eyes or whether you uh, just sit there and and however you think, I don't know. But if you were to go back and think of the disciples. And imagine the setting of the disciples at this particular time. It was basically about 40 days prior to that they had watched Jesus to be put upon a cross. Their master would be put on a cross. He would be put to death in front of their eyes. Three days later, he would, or they would begin to go to the tomb and they would see that the stone had rolled away and that, that the empty, the, the grave clothes were there and, and they would, they would recognize that Jesus had risen from the dead. These same disciples were unsure, they were a little skeptical, they were, they were a little uneasy at the circumstance and everything that was going on. And then for the next 40 days, Jesus would be seen and he would meet with these men and he would, he would be with his closest followers and he would teach them again and he would pray with them and he would take them back up to the mountain and, and Jesus again would meet with these men to prepare them for the moment that was about to take place where Jesus would leave and ascend and go meet his father. This day was a little bit different. Jesus is with his disciples and he's speaking to them. And we looked at this passage of scripture last week, but in verse number eight of Acts chapter number one, it says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses Unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And then in verse number 9, and we'll get into this in just a few moments, it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And if you can just kind of imagine standing there, you were, you were once, just a moment ago, you were listening to Jesus and he was teaching and he was sharing and he was pouring out his heart and letting them know that these were the things that were about to take place. And the next thing you know, the disciples are stuck. They're standing, staring in awe. What just happened? Jesus had just been taken up into the sky and into the clouds. And it says that they looked intently or they, they gazed, they stared, they stood looking. Maybe it was a, a dumbfounded look. I don't know. Maybe it's just like you and I when we hear a story and we just kind of stand our jaw drops and we're just kind of like, what just took place? And the disciples are standing there. These men are looking up into the heavens. And at this point, the angel comes and he begins to visit with them and he, he gives them a little bit of comfort. Maybe he gives them a little bit of a relief or a little bit of a reminder of, of exactly what was about to take place and what did just take place. And it wasn't too long after that, it says that these men began to immediately basically make their way back to Jerusalem. 
where Jesus had told them to go and to wait for the Spirit. As I was studying this week, looking at this passage of Scripture, several things came to my mind. But one of those things is, uh, even after the service last week, we were talking, I forget who I was saying something to, but so many times in my study and in my reading, I just stop and I kind of go, huh, I wonder, I wonder what was going on in this setting. Have you ever just read and thought, man, what really was going on? Even in this particular passage, the men are just standing. They're staring, gazing up into the heavens. And, and Jesus was just right there. And next thing you know, he's gone. Boom, he's vanished. And though they had been taught and though they had been told all of the different things that were to come and that should be coming, taking place, these men stood there standing, gazing. And I was reading and as I was thinking, and I thought to myself, What must a day's journey be like going back to Jerusalem? What would that be like? One moment you're standing, talking to Jesus, talking to the Messiah, talking to to the King of Kings, and and talking to, to God himself. And the next moment he's staring up into the sky, and then all of a sudden you have an angel that comes and presents himself and, and, and speaks to them and reminds them kind of, hey, this is what's going on. And then they remember the things, I guess. I don't know because it doesn't give all the specifics. But they stand there and they must have remembered back some, of, some time ago where, where they were told, hey, in order for the Holy Spirit to come, in order for the Comforter to come, it says in John, I must go. Maybe they looked back, and, 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 and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but maybe they looked back into even just moments ago in Acts where they said, where Jesus said, hey, go to Jerusalem and wait. And they stand there, and all of a sudden they, well, well, guys, <laughs> I guess we just start going. What must that conversation have been like? We don't know. We don't know. But do you think those men talked about some of the coolest miracles that they got to see? You know, and what do you think it was just a day's journey that was just utter silence? Have you ever got the news of something, whatever that something was, and it was just like you were in shock, the people around you in shock, and you literally just sit there and you're like, what is to be said at this moment? Maybe it was a quiet journey. Maybe it was a journey where they had conversation of, of some of the great things that had taken place in the past. Maybe they talked about the, I don't know if they would have done this, but maybe they talked about some of the, the arguments or discussions that those men would have had. Well, John, if you would have done this, or, or Peter, if you would have just said that, or, or what if you would have done this, or what if, what if, I don't know. But these men had a day's journey, and they walked back to Jerusalem. Though we don't know all of the conversation, we don't know that journey, we don't know any of those things. What we do know is they had a journey back to Jerusalem. 
And we know that once they got into Jerusalem, they landed in the upper room. It's most to be assumed that they landed in the same upper room that just uh, several days, you know, not too long ago, they had the Last Supper in that room and, and where they were meeting and where they were, uh, their feet were washed by Jesus and they were in that upper room. And, and all we really know is that they took that day's journey and they landed in the upper room there in Jerusalem together without a 100% sure of what do I do now? The Holy Spirit had yet to come upon them. And this morning, as I get into the message this morning, the, the thoughts of this morning, we look at this series, The Daring Direction, and this morning it's a, a simple thought of dare to pray. This group of men, these, these people that had taken this journey, found themselves in the upper room together, maybe a little uncertain of everything that was going to happen and was going to take place. But we know that as we read God's word, they find themselves there. And it says in verse number 14, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And this morning, I'm going to talk for just a few minutes about prayer. There will be parts of this that hit us as personal believers in our personal prayer lives. But my heart is really more intent this morning as a congregation, as a body of believers, that we would stop and that we would, we would take all of the different things and we would begin to, to process through as a congregation, as a body, collectively, prayer as a unit, as a congregation. Because so often, so often we... We go home and we have our prayer times, and I pray that you do, and I'm not discrediting any of those things. Believe me, that's a necessity. But if we study, if we were to just stop and study through Scripture, the power of God in prayer very, 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 very rarely took place with one person in his private room. The power of God in prayer, as we study through Scripture, almost always took place when the body came together to beg God for God's hand of whatever that it was. And so this morning and throughout this next week and next Sunday morning, we're going we're gonna to emphasize prayer as a body. And yes, we're going to hit on some of the details. All of this stuff that we'll talk about today ultimately affects us as an individual. But as we do this as individuals, how it affects us collectively as a church. And so this morning will be in Acts chapter number 1. We'll start in verse number 9. I know I've read some of these passages already, but if you would go with me there, Acts chapter 1, verse number 9 is where we will start, and then we'll get into the points this morning. But in verse 9 it says this, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Verse number 12, it says, And then they returned 
or returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, Zealots and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Father God, this morning, I pray that, Lord, you would be glorified. But I pray, Lord, as we look at these passages of Scripture, this this passage, that we would truly stop and just consider our own lives. Consider where we are as believers, that you would be ultimately glorified in our lives. Father, I pray that as a body, we would collectively come together in prayer that we would be able to focus on you, that we would be able to, to stop and, and to put away some of the petty things that, that, that hinder us and that bother us on a regular basis and that we would, as your word says, to be unified together, that they were in unity praying in prayers and supplications. I pray today that that would be Oasis, that that would be our heart, and God, that you would be glorified in it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. The first thought this morning or the first point is this is real simply they submitted. As we look at this prayer as we were as we go through this little bit of the story this morning again Jesus had just told them that the that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them and that they would go into Jerusalem and Judea and then he disappears he goes up into the clouds the disciples are then met by the angels and immediately what it says that do, that they do in verse number 12 they returned unto Jerusalem they submitted themselves Back to what God had told them would, ha- would, would need to happen for the Spirit to meet with them. We need to remember as we look into this passage of Scripture, as we look into our own lives, as we go through prayer. And yes, there's a lot of different things that could be taught on prayer. We could have weeks and weeks and weeks of sermons on prayer and, and how to pray. And, and we could look into Jesus' prayers in the Bible. And we can look at other men in the Bible's prayers. And, and there's a lot of things that I could say, we need to pray in this manner. We need to pray through Scripture. We need to pray with this. And we need to pray with that. And that's not really the intent of this morning. But the thought this is they submitted Our goal, if we're to stop and say, what is this goal? What is the purpose of our Christian lives? I've said it many times. It's that God created you and I with relationship in mind. And the goal of our Christian lives, the focus of our Christian lives, needs to be that He would be glorified and that our lives would bring Him glory. And as these men and as in our lives, we begin to submit to Him they together in unity went back to do what God had told them to do. Listen, we know if we were to go, and I'll read these passages of Scripture, but in John 16 and verse number 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Listen, it is the best thing for you, as Jesus was talking here. Hey, the best thing that can happen is that I leave, that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The only way the Comforter, the Holy Spirit was coming was as Jesus had to leave. Jesus had to be out of the scene. And as he went, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4, again, it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But it says what? But wait for the promise of the Father. 
And so here we see these men standing here. Jesus leaves, and now they're standing here, and they had one of two decisions. Do I submit myself to God and do what God has told me to do, which is to go to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem wait on God to do what God is going to do? Or do I kind of go, well, Jesus is gone. What do I do now? Really, those are the options that were before them. How many people go and live life a little bit different after the passing of a loved one? Many of you have stories of something that took place in, this, in somebody's life and and it may not have been the best situation and it may, whatever that would be, but people go and they kind of go on their own rogue type of a life. These men easily could have went rogue. Maybe one or two of them could have just said, you know what, I'm going to go do my thing. This was a really great couple years and I, I, Jesus was awesome and I got to see some amazing things, but I don't understand this. I, I'm checking out. I've got things to do. But these men together collectively decided, whether it was individually, I don't know if somebody stood up. I don't know if the angels kind of said, hey, just a reminder, go that way. That's Jerusalem. I don't know. We don't know. But somebody stood up. Somehow they submitted themselves to God and said, we're going to go back to where I was told to go back. And we're just going to wait. And so these men submitted. It should be our desire to love our Father and to please Him. Our purpose, again, in the Christian life is, is that of honoring Him. And as we do that through our love relationship, that passion that we have in Him, we bring glorification to Him. We glorify Him in our lives. But that glory, that submission, that obedience starts as we stop and we begin to submit unto Him. Listen, I cannot genuinely come to a place where I'm praying a genuine, real heart confession or genuine real anything before God if I'm not submitting myself to him I can say all the prayers that I want but the reality is this when I genuinely submit to him is when those things begin in my life Until I come to a place where I am saying, God, here I am. I have to submit all of me so that you can come and fill me. God, I am submitting to you. God, I can no longer do this on my own and I'm submitting to you. I am humbly coming before you. These men did just that and they gave themselves to him and they took themselves and they walked back to Jerusalem that day's journey and they went up into that upper room after they had submitted all of themselves to him. Again, glorifying him starts with confession. That is confessing him as Lord. That we can't glorify him if we are not a believer. We have to have given ourselves to him. Unless you've given your life to Christ, we cannot do that. I've said this before, Christianity is not a get out of jail card or maybe a a get out of hell card. It is a relationship with him that we would glorify him and that we would know him intimately in everything that we do. So as we acknowledge him as Lord, as, as master... 
our process of spiritual growth can begin. As we submit that to Him. Joshua chapter 7, and it's not on the screen, but in Joshua chapter 7, in verse number 19, it says that they would make confession of sin and give glory to God. We glorify God by loving Him enough to obey Him. And as we look at that, the the obedience of, of submitting to Him isn't just an external form of obedience. I kind of wrote down in my notes a thought here, and I've taught in classrooms, and and I've I've dealt with teenagers, and I've done a number of different things over the last uh, 10, 15 years of my life dealing with children. I have four of my own, but there's been many times where I've, and I'll just use this as a broad example, and you guys have your own stories I'm quite sure of, unless you are uh, better than I, but where you've been in a room, or maybe it's with your own children, and you've said, hey, I need you to sit down. Or maybe it was, hey, I need you to go brush your teeth. I need you to go lay down in bed. Whatever that is, and one of your children or one of the kids in the classroom that you're with kind of gives you the, well, what do I need to sit down for? I don't want to sit down. I don't want to brush my teeth. And they kind of buck back at you. Has anybody else been there? Okay, I'm just, it's kind of a quiet morning here. But we've all been there. And then they've kind of bucked back at you and you have to kind of stand up with that authoritative, whatever that is. And whether that's a, hey, I said so. I'm the dad. That's why. Whatever that circumstance is. Or I'm the teacher in the room and I'm the one in charge. However that works. You kind of stand up as the authority in the situation. And they kind of, and then they sit down. Right? Eventually they kind of give in or they, they I hope they give in. They have externally obeyed you, but internally there is no form of obedience going on at all. Because they really either don't care, they don't want to, whatever that circumstance is. And so externally they have obeyed, but inwardly their heart is wrong. Listen, as a as a body, and as I come to the end of this point this morning, the start of our prayer comes with us genuinely submitting ourselves to God. The start of our growth and the start of that walk with God, of knowing Him, of, of becoming obedient to Him, and not that, uh, that external, I'm just showing that I'm doing the right thing, but genuinely my heart is broken. I am submitting to Him. I am humble before Him. At that moment, that growth begins. At that moment, those things inside of us begin that we can genuinely reach out to God and say, God, here I am. See, really prior to that, we have nothing more than just legalism in our lives. Because I am conforming to all the things that people have told me that I'm supposed to conform to. I've not genuinely submitted myself to God and allowed God to make and break the things in my life that need to be broken. So as we come this morning and we look at this thought, the very first thought of prayer as as a congregation or prayer as a body or prayer as an individual is that we would submit our lives to God. The next thing is here is they were unified. 
There is no secret when it comes to God, and there is no secret when it comes to God's word of unity within the body. And I'm not going to stand here and I'm not going to preach for hours and hours on us being unified. But John 17 and verse 21 says this, that they all, and this is Jesus' prayer. Jesus says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. When the church is unified, there is a greater reach and a greater impact into the community, into the world. When the church is unified, the united prayers of the church are much more powerful. Again, I said it earlier, but it's amazing to read the stories of God's people coming together to pray and seeing what happens through that situation. James 5 and 16 says to pray for one another. If we're to look at that passage, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of it says what? A righteous man availeth much. We can't be righteous. We can't do what that says if we are not unified with one another. We have to be unified. We have to be striving towards that. That starts with submission as we do those things. Matthew 18, a passage that many of you would know in Matthew 18 and verse 20, uh, where two or more, two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. There is something to praying with and for one another. There is something to being in the body of, of a time of fellowship, of a time of, of worship where together the prayers of the people are going up. We've done that in the last several weeks where during the time of prayer where I've just said, hey, you know what, together, just pray. Where some would pray out loud and some would, would maybe sit silently in their chair and pray, whatever that is. But, but we've just kind of prayed for just a couple moments and then we would start the service and, and, uh, with music or whatever. But there is just something to hearing God's people's people pray and there's something to that. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42, a passage that I've spoke on, a passage that I've taught on quite often. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In breaking of bread and what? And in prayers. If we were to go study that passage deeper, which we have several times, it would say that they did that daily. That wasn't just something that they did where they gathered together and they, they had a potluck once a month or any of those things. No, they did those things daily from house to house is what God's word says there in Acts. They were together in unity. Church, I don't know that we have division within our church. And I'm not coming with this on that behalf. But that's the church we need to be. Is a church that is united. Is a church that is confessing one to another. A church that is, is encouraging one another, lifting one another up, praying together, being united in such a manner. As we think of being united, Philippians, I'm going to just go through a few passages this morning that would speak of that, just being unified, being united. Philippians 2.2 says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. 
1 Corinthians 1 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. This morning, if I were to go back to point number one, if we can begin to genuinely submit the inner body of who we are in our hearts and we submit that to God, the unification and the the church and the body being unified really just naturally flows out of that. Because as I am submitted to God, I am then submitting under the authority of those that are around me. I'm submitting to people that are around me. I'm loving God and I'm loving people as God has called me to love people and and all of those things. And that doesn't mean that there's not disagreements. And that doesn't mean any of those things, that things are perfect. And no, but what that does mean is in love, we can have that conversation. In love, I can disagree with somebody and still get along with them and still progress on and still serve with them and still love them. But when we cannot submit to God, then we, we can't be unified as a body. And if we're not doing those, then we can't come together in a matter of prayer, unified in prayer, because as we pray together, I'm like, God, that person over there said this and it really hurt my feelings and they're just a jerk. And God, would you touch their heart? And God, would you, would you change them? And God, would you work on them? And God, would you do this? And God, would you do that? Because they need you. That becomes our heart. And you all are going, never. No, where that needs to be is God I may not understand, and I don't, I don't agree with that, but change me so that I am right with you. And as I am right with you, God, work through the circumstance so that we can be right together. Because I'm telling you, I'm a prideful man, just like most of you are prideful individuals. And it's never my fault, and it's always yours. Right? (laughs) When there's a qualm, when Alan and I have a disagreement, listen, I'm good. I don't know why Alan would have said that. And I don't know why his heart is wrong in speaking to me in that regard. Right? No, what needs to happen is, God, I don't agree with this and I don't quite understand it, but change me. Allow me to submit to you so that I can submit to Alan. Now, me and Alan don't have any problems, I don't think. Not that I know of. After this, we might. I don't know. No, but allow me, God. I'm going to submit to you. And though Alan doesn't have a position of authority over me, let me submit to him as a man of God and as somebody that I respect, somebody that I trust. And God, change me in this circumstance so that we can be unified and we can be one. That's where our heart needs to be. And lastly, what it says is they prayed together. Simply, they prayed. So the first thing that they did was they submitted themselves unto God. They submitted themselves to each other. And again, I don't know if they collectively came together and were like, hey, I think it, the right thing to do is that 
If you remember, God said, remember when Jesus was here, I don't know if somebody just took the reins. I know just a, a verse a verse number 15, it says in those days, Peter stood up. And, and so we know that up in the upper room, Peter took the charge and Peter took command. And I don't know if when they were out there and Jesus was ascended and, and they, if Peter just kind of looked at him and said, hey, men, hey, we know what Jesus told us. Jesus said we need to go to Jerusalem. We need to wait for, Jesus, wait for the, the Spirit to come. And so why don't we all go together and let's take, let's just go. I don't know if that took place. I don't know if it was all of them together that kind of stopped and stared and looked at each other. But either way, they submitted to God's authority of what they were told to do. They unified as a group and they left and they went together to go back to Jerusalem. They went to the upper room and then we know without a shadow of a doubt what they did. They collectively came together and they prayed. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They continued with one accord in unity with prayer and supplication. And it says with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brethren. If you were to go on and study it, they say that there's roughly about 120 people that would have been in that room that day. And as they together collectively as a unit, as a body, sat or stood or whatever they did and how amazing it would be to just, uh, if there was like iPhones back in the day and somebody just had one laying on the ground recording what was going on. Would that have been, what kind of a prayer meeting would that have been? Could you imagine, I'm guessing there's probably about 120 in this room today. If collectively we were all in a room, we were all in 100% agreement, we were all unified together, Jesus had just met, Jesus left, and we're all in a room, there is no music, there is nothing going on, it's just you and I and God and we together and we're just, was it a matter of everybody kind of individually kneeling down right where they were? Was it a couple family members that were, were huddled together and crying Because Jesus, not only their master, but Jesus, their friend. Somebody that they had grown to love as a person, as an individual, beyond just being God. But he had become a friend. It said that he wept when when his friend Lazarus had died. Do you not think that they were just friends? And maybe they just stood there. And maybe in in silence and in awe, maybe they got down on the ground and maybe with their face into the ground, they began to just weep. Have you ever done that? Nothing be said. They just got on their knees and maybe had their heads on the ground and their hands on their head and just, God, God, what do we do? We're here in Jerusalem. Now you said something about waiting and, and God, we're going to wait and I don't know. But collectively as a unified body of 120 or so men and women, they sat in a room and they just cried out to God, God, I don't know, but God. Who knows what that was like that night. But let me for just a couple moments this morning. We don't know what took place on that particular night. 
I don't know. I wish I could say, here's the five ways that they prayed. And when they did that, this is how, this is what took place. I wish I could just show you those things so that we could do those five things and then be like, all right, boom, here it is. Hey, we don't have that. But here's what I know. I know that in Acts chapter 2, in verse number 2, it says this, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Oh, what an amazing, amazing situation to be in. When you have just met with God and literally a not just like a figure of speech where this was just an amazing time, but the, the mighty rushing wind, the volume, the sound of just God showing up in amazing, an amazing way. They were praying collectively. They were praying as a unified body. And God's word says that like a rushing wind came in and filled the house. If we were to keep going in Acts chapter number 4, if we were to, to continue to kind of progress through Acts, and I'm not going through every little piece, but in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were, were put into custody. And if you know the story, they were, they were in custody because they were preaching the gospel and they were doing those things. And, and if we were to go and start in about 24, I believe it is, in verse number 24, as it says, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And this is the body back at the church or at the temple or in someone's house. And when they heard that, they lifted up the voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people, and we could go on, but look, here's, here's what I love, I love, I love, I love, I love. They were standing there. Peter and John were, were being put in prison and they were being challenged and they were being questioned by the Sanhedrin and they were going through all of those things. And they didn't say, God, God, would you free them? God, would you let them go? If we were to reach down a little bit further, I believe it's in 2029 20, is what's on the screen. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And listen to this, grant unto thy servants... Freedom. No. God, if you would just grant them to let them walk free. No, it says, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness, what is it? That they would speak the word. Why are they in jail? For speaking the word. And as a collective body, they're saying, God, would you give them boldness that they would speak the word of God? Oh, there's so much right here. And as we keep on going, it says in 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. In Acts chapter 12, James had just been martyred. Peter was in prison. And again, it comes to a place where, where they are praying. In verse number 5, it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without cast or ceasing of the church unto God for him. There's so much. I forget, is, there any, is that the only one that's on that screen? In verse number, chapter 13, we come where Saul and Barnabas were sent away after prayer and after fasting. 
And in verse 13 and verse 3, and when they had fasted and they prayed and laid their hands on them, what does it say? And they sent them away. The, the church together as a body. In Acts chapter 16 and verse number 25, yet again, the prayer of, of God's people. They were prayed, they were, they prayed and they were let out. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and he would, ha- he would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And it says this, But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And this is, this is awesome. And he bought and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Listen this morning as I wrap up. I get that in chapter number one, it says that they prayed together, and it doesn't give us every detail of how they prayed. But if we were to just to study, if we were to go back through and we looked through just a few of these different passages of Scripture where these, the body of Christ, the church came together and the church prayed as a body, look at what God did through the power of prayer. How amazing would it be for us to genuinely, in unity, come together and pray and see and hear the mighty rushing wind of God come in. How awesome would it be for one of us to go and to be in prison or to be in jail or to be in trouble for speaking the word of God and the church gather together and the church doesn't say, oh God, free them, oh God, keep them safe, oh God, do this, but no, oh God, give them boldness that they would continue to teach and to preach the word of God. Oh God, would you do a mighty work? Oh, as we come together, and Lord, I pray one day that we will be able to send out from Oasis Baptist Church missionaries into the world. But maybe it's that one day where we together as a body pray over somebody and we say, now go. And as a church body, we send them. I don't know that we'll ever experience an earthquake through prayer. But may God allow us to experience the mighty power and hand of God as we collectively pray as a body of God. Listen, this morning, these are all things that we must do as individuals. But let me just ask you this question. Have you submitted your life to Christ? Have you submitted it all and you said, God, here it is. It's all yours. Everything that I have is in you. Maybe you would sit here and you'd say this morning, well, that guy over there has a problem. That guy over there hurt my feelings. Maybe you're staring at the guy that's hurt your feelings. Whatever that it is, you would say, it's no longer, God, would you change them? But God, would you show me where I need to be changed? So that I can be in unity with the body of Christ, which you've called me to serve in. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. 
If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.